Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Okay, Matt. Well, being that we described drilling fluids in the last episode, it sounds like there's a lot to pick from. It's kind of like a kid in the candy shop. I mean, looking at all these drilling fluids, looking at all the functions, I mean, how does a person actually come up with what fluid type to use? I mean, that's obviously got to be a question everyone's wanting to know. Certainly. And, and the reason they keep asking is because it's complicated. If I had one straightforward answer that on, in this case, you're always going to use this fluid, um, I think all of this would be pretty straightforward and, and quick. Uh, but the fact is, it's, it's quite a bit more complicated than that. Okay. Would you mind describing some of the, you know, some something to consider or a lot of the considerations when actually selecting a different drilling fluids? Sure. I mean, uh, right off the bat, you know, if if the government regulations say our environmental laws say you can't use this, uh, that pretty much answers that question for you as far as what you're not going to go with. Uh, and you know, that can vary by state, whether you're on federal land. That can vary by country. Uh, local municipalities can have requirements, so it can get pretty complex pretty fast. That's a good example, Matt. Uh, I can tell you, being from Canada, uh, a lot of my experience when drilling with when they call oil-based emulsions, uh, we actually weren't allowed to use diesel-based drilling fluids. Uh, and that was even back in the early 2000s. We were uh, drilling with things like distillates, mineral oils, and uh, they really... The, the operator, uh, which is the oil and gas companies, they would really push to go with water-based MUDs or high-performance water-based MUDs uh, to help eliminate a lot of the concerns drilling with oil-based MUDs. Uh, you know, and then you come down to a place like Texas, and we're still drilling with, with diesel-based MUDs. So it, it really depends on, uh, you know, the government body and different regulations. So it's, you know, it's crazy. You can cross an imaginary line and, and use something completely different just based off, you know, regulations. So that, that is some, very important. So there can be those circumstances, I think, where, where you're kind of highlighting that the customer could actually just have a, a preference. They'd say, yes, we know the regulations, but we'd actually like to do one better and come up with something a little more sensitive, or we'd accept a higher cost for something that uh, is potentially less harmful. A lot of it is driven by regulations, but of course the regulations are, are backed by data. For example, even using diesel-based mud, uh, OSHA's done some studies on exposure. There are some interesting papers. And at first it sounds crazy, but then it seems quite a bit more understandable why people are okay with it. Makes sense. Do you think uh, oil and gas companies, just based off of public perception, choose different drilling fluids or different fluids that may be safer that they don't necessarily need to use by regulation, but just to kind of show good face, uh, good face and just kind of use it as a, as a good talking point or as a good uh, way to make themselves look like they're truly caring about the environment? I think they do. I think the challenge there is that it's quite complicated. 
you know, for example, when we talk about the oil-based realm or the synthetic-based realm, there are some base oils that do really well in environmental testing or some aspects of environmental testing and then do very poorly in others where you could say, hey, I'm using the most expensive, most sensitive bio-based material out there, and depending on how you test it, it could still look horrific. Uh, so there's there's certainly a lot of discussion, and it's certainly challenging to convey that when that effort's being put, what's actually being done different and how it could be better or safer or more beneficial. Interesting. Also, something that is extremely important when considering different drilling fluid types is uh, just consider the different layers of rock that we're drilling. Um, You know, you have rock that we're drilling that's, you know, millions and millions of years old uh, that's made up of different minerals and, and different chemistry. So, Matt, describe too, you know, there's different layers of shale which come with a lot of different challenges. I mean, how does that come into play when looking at different drilling fluids? Well, certainly shale is probably the the main culprit when you talk about drilling challenges, although there's a number of different types of formations that we drill through where the fluid actually chemically interacts with this, uh, this formation in a way that can make it more difficult to drill. So it could swell on you and expand and stick to the drill bit and make drilling go very, very slow. You um, we call that bit balling. There can be issues even where in an oil-based mud where I actually have a, a brine internal phase that the brine can actually introduce water or draw water out of, the, out of a shale formation and embrittle it and cause it to collapse. So there's a number of those sort of interactions. There can also be things like a sand that you drill through that has a lot of uh, permeability to it, where you could get stuck up against it. Uh, You could go on losses through any of these formations if they're not strong enough, and all of a sudden I don't get fluid circulating back up to surface, and that can be a very expensive thing. Uh, And when it's expected or perhaps a known risk, you might want to use a cheaper fluid because you know you're probably not getting very much of it back when you drill. And a lot of times, Matt, uh, and I'm just speaking through experience, if you go into an operator's office, a lot of times nowadays they already know what they want. So it's not completely up to the drilling fluid company to select what type of drilling fluids it is. Uh, a lot of the pl- uh, the plays that we're drilling in nowadays actually have been drilled for several of years. Uh, and a lot of these plays that we're currently drilling are plays that we've come back to, uh, actually. And so th- the data that we've collected since the beginning of time uh, actually helps us select the drilling fluid type. So if you're going into, uh, you know, a different area that maybe, you know, say the operator hasn't drilled in, well, certainly there's people uh, in enough data in itself to kind of have an idea of what works and what doesn't. So that that kind of helps, uh, you know, that helps us as a drilling fluid company determine what drilling fluid uh, to use, which is extremely helpful. Um, and a lot of times it's just simply, you know, what works in that area. Uh, not nowadays, uh, we're not doing that much exploratory work. So you're not having to do a lot of research before going into an area. A lot of times it's just, it's our, it's just sort of industry knowledge. Uh, you know, let's just say in South Texas in the Eagleford, 
most people know you go in there with old base mud. There's not a lot of selection that goes into it. Just because it's been drilled so much, they already know what works. Of course, there's you know different scenarios where operators want to push the limits and uh, use new technology to you know facilitate uh, some different uh, outcomes that they're looking for. Um, but for the most part, a lot of times it just comes down to you know, what works and what's the most cost effective, right? There's so many occasions where, for example, the, you know, the infrastructure is just there. Everybody else is drilling all around you. Uh, why would you try anything different? Uh, and on the technology side, the question is, okay, uh, make it valuable enough for me to see the need to use it. Um, that's the only reason I would change what I already know. So a lot of times when we get past the legal question, even the technical challenges, a lot of that stuff's already been worked out, and what's known to be successful is what the customer is either going to demand or they're going to demand something just like it or better. Let's talk a little bit about you know the different types of producing formations. Uh, you know, most people understand when you're drilling through a shale, you end up going back in there and fracking it. In fact, any shale you, you're completing out, you have to just because you know the lack of permeability. Uh, but let's say you're going into a certain formation like a sandstone, uh, you know, different completion methods, you know, that also comes into play when selecting a drilling fluid, does it not? A lot of the conventional reservoirs are, are actually sandstone. Um, and one of the newer completion methods that's kind of been really put into practice over the last 15 to 20 years is an open hole completion. So when I go to frack a well in an unconventional scenario, I'm actually enhancing the permeability, so any damage I did to the formation uh, it doesn't really matter because I'm improving its flow characteristics through how I complete the well. But in a conventional sandstone well, in all likelihood, you'll just bring the well on and flow it. And so one way that people have come to do this is drill an open hole. So they don't actually cement off that last section. They just put perhaps a... a perforated pipe or a liner or what's called a sand control screen. But anything that might plug some of the, the permeability or the flow area when you're drilling is going to affect how that well produces later. So those fluids require a fair bit of engineering and also typically material selection where maybe I could remove all of the residue of the fluid later with acid or a keylent or some other special chemistry. Um, so those fluids require a, a fairly careful touch. Uh, similarly, you, you may hear about disposal wells. Well, lots of people are looking to get rid of their salt water that maybe comes back with oil after you produce for a while. Uh, and what they like to do is inject that into sandstone formations. Typically, they will create a way to um, frack or enhance the permeability, or eventually they will, but uh, even when we case off those, those whole sections, there's some desire to manage the fluid properties in a way that minimizes how it impacts the formation. There's a key word that I'm going to circle back on, Matt, and this isn't to do with drilling fluids, but I think it's important because I bet you a lot of people don't actually know the difference between unconventionals and conventionals. We throw those terms around like everybody knows them, but would you mind describing what's the difference between unconventionals and conventional wells? It's kind of a funny thing. If you go back in music, you remember when alternative music came out? 
And then it became the music everyone was listening to, so it really wasn't much of an alternative. I think unconventionals have kind of reached that state uh, where conventional drilling, typically what you would do is you would drill the well. uh, You typically would case it off in cemented, or you could use that open hole completion method I sort of described. Um, And the reservoir would have so much pressure that you would basically just let the well flow. Uh, it, w- it was typically a formation that already had really good flow characteristics. Fluid would f- produce fluids, oil, gas would flow to the wellbore and come up to the wellhead. It'd be sent to a refinery or processed, um, and that was all you had to do. The unconventional side of things is this shale, oil, and gas that you hear about, where you actually have to enhance the formation somehow. And by enhance, I mean improve the permeability. So you drill the well, but now if you were to just shoot some holes in the pipe, which is called perforating, um, and you tried to bring the well in production, you you wouldn't really see much of anything at all. But if I went ahead and fractured the well, uh, which is basically taking a slurry of sand, sometimes referred to as gravel, um, and a few other chemicals, and pumped it into the formation and actually broken it apart so that different channels storing hydrocarbons were all connected and had a clear route back to the wellbore, um, that was the way that you actually got production online. But it required that fracturing stage or you weren't going to see anything. Uh, And so that was considered an unconventional method. I mean, ironically enough, fracking has been around since the 40s. It's not necessarily an all-new thing, but clearly fracturing in horizontal wells, doing some of the things that are being done now is fairly unconventional from what was being done conventionally in the past. When you say conventionally in the past, I mean, are you aware of anyone drilling conventional wells now? I mean, me personally, all my customers, were all they're all drilling unconventionals. Is that even something that's relevant nowadays, conventionals? Oh, it's definitely relevant, um, and, and certainly it's happening. I think you see kind of two scales. You see the guys who are drilling on land where there's been oil forever and they'll continue to drill wells. And, you know, they don't produce very much, but they kind of keep plugging along. Um, But then a lot of the wells that you see offshore uh, in some of these big prolific fields that are are fairly new, um, as long as they have that reservoir permeability, they are typically what you would call a conventionally produced well. Uh, And they just have to produce a lot of oil to pay for the cost. What about overseas? I mean, obviously in the U.S. right now, it's mostly unconventionals. But overseas, is it mostly, I mean, unconventionals as well? No, you know, you're seeing that adoption of uh, of unconventional technology and methodology. Uh, Argentina is a huge place. You hear a lot of people talk about Vaca Muerta. Uh, there's the U.K. certainly has lots of shale gas that they would like to be able to produce for um, electricity. And then um, you're, you're seeing it being taken up in, in certain parts of the world, but it's nowhere near as mature as what you see in the United States. Interesting. I would imagine that's probably why a lot of people working at these major service companies uh, actually get asked to go overseas and help deploy a lot of the technologies that we've swum up mastered here in the U.S. Definitely. And, and you can look at that even if you wanted to track the, the record of uh, foreign oil companies who buy stakes in the unconventional shale plays, you know, just a 10% minority interest, 
they want the information on how that's done so they can take it back to their home country. Uh, so you, there was a lot of activity with Total and um, uh, China National Offshore Oil Company where they, they bought these stakes and they get access to the information and then they can go back to their, their home country uh, with some improved knowledge. Man, that, you know, that's like actually pretty interesting. I didn't, it, it's something I knew about, but I didn't really think about it. But yeah, I mean, they're basically buying information and, and buying, you know, some, uh, you know, like I guess just buying information, bring back to be able to kind of increase what, uh, you know, they're doing over there, which is pretty strategic. I mean, if you've got the money, it makes sense. So, um, well, interesting, Matt. I know we t- kind of took a, a little bit of a right turn there into you know non-drilling fluids-related stuff, but uh, all interesting nonetheless. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.